Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, May 10th, 2022, the 475th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started today, I have a new video out. It is on Rumble. It is on BitChute. It is on Odyssey. You can search I'm your moderator on any of those platforms and find it. The link is available in the Telegram info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator. I discuss the surprise concert played by Bono and a guy either named Tomos Topelia or Taras Topolia, depending on which part of one single daily news article you are looking at. He's got different name spellings, totally different names, apparently. But they played a little impromptu concert in a subway station that was presented to us as a bomb shelter in Kiev. They braved the war zone. They got in there and they played some old U2 songs in order to save Ukraine. And the Ukrainian singer has actually been pretending to be a soldier for the last few months. He has joined the Ukrainian Territorial Guard. And so he performed in military fatigues, very official. Jill Biden also took a surprise trip to Ukraine, and so did Justin Trudeau. It was a weekend of surprise trips to Ukraine. And by surprise, they mean, I mean, honestly, who knows what they mean? Maybe we're supposed to assume that they were under such danger that they couldn't let anyone know they were coming. Except the thing is, Jill Biden's trip was announced at least a week in advance, and people knew she was going to go to 
Ukraine. But these little photo ops, these little press events meant to present optics that make it seem like the U.S. is doing everything they can to help in Ukraine and the cause is just and righteous. Ukraine could possibly win. They're trying to put a nice spin on the whole Ukraine thing. So Joe Biden sent his wife into the very dangerous war zone on Mother's Day. That was the solution. And she met with an organization called the International Organization for Migration. It's part of the UN. And I'm not entirely sure who presented the concert, but Bono has done events in the past with a group called Global Citizen, which is another globalist organization. Both of these organizations and the UN and the World Economic Forum are all deeply committed to the 2030 agenda. And they are using the situation in Ukraine to advance those goals. So give that a look. I hope you like it. I hope it's funny. I hope it's a little entertaining. And if you like it, share it and share this show. That's how things grow. And when you're banned on multiple big tech platforms and podcast platforms like I am, the only way to actually broaden the audience for all of this is for you guys to share it. So whoever's doing that, thank you. I appreciate it. Whoever's supporting the show financially, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you will know that never once have I referred to Joe Biden as the actual president. In fact, I end every show every day saying that he will never be president because it's quite obvious he never will be president. Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. He was not elected. He was elected through massive fraud. He was certified through further massive fraud. His electors were certified by the Congress through even further massive fraud. And then he was fraudulently inaugurated. Joe Biden has never been at any point a legitimate or legal president ever, not once, not for a single moment. And over the last year and a half, I've gotten in quite a lot of trouble for consistently saying that. And people think, oh, he's extreme. He's going overboard. Well, they used to say that about me calling people communists, too. Turns out they're communists. And now very serious people in the public conversation recognize and voice that as well, because now it's a little safer to say those things. Now it's become more obvious to everyone. It's not as scary as it was when I started saying it, but it was right then too. Kind of like how I always talked about how lockdowns and masks don't work at all and how the vaccine is not very safe and effective and how January 6th, was not, in fact, a very violent insurrection and how the media's narrative about Putin's war on Ukraine has always been nonsense. But speaking of the fake president, here is Donald Trump's official spokeswoman, Liz Harrington. So while Trump is out there putting on rallies for hours at a time, Biden needs a special fake White House set just to get through a few lines. What's your reaction to that admission from Politico? Well, it's actually quite perfect, a fake set for a fake president. I mean, there's nothing real or legitimate about this. I mean, I found this Politico piece laughable, quite frankly, that everyone's pretending that, oh, he's going to run again, Joe Biden. It's just a matter of timing of when to announce it. 
Give me a break. He couldn't run last time. I mean, they're blaming it on COVID. They put him in the basement for a reason. I mean, most of it's because that video you just showed. I mean, this guy is incapable of drawing a crowd. He's incapable of addressing the crowd. And it's quite stunning as well. I mean, President Trump went in the pouring rain to Greensburg, Pennsylvania, because he didn't want to let the MAGA faithful down. There were over 10,000, I think maybe even 20,000 people there uh, in awful weather. Uh, do you think 10,000 people would go up to show Joe, see Joe Biden in the rain? Do you think he could speak in the rain? He can't even speak at an Easter egg roll without Jill cutting him off, without the Easter Bunny grabbing him before he spills state secrets on the White House lawn. I mean, this is a joke. It's obvious that he needs a fake set with a teleprompter because he is unable to govern. And quite frankly, it's a real crisis for our country because we do not have a vigorous executive. And we do with unelected bureaucrats. We do with whoever's really pulling the strings and making decisions. But they weren't elected. Uh, and neither was Joe Biden. And so we really do have a crisis here with lack of consent of the governed. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing uh, America just spiral down so fast because of that. Now, that right there is the case that I have been making for 18 months now. Joe Biden did not have a campaign. He was in his basement on Zoom every in-person event he did was attended by almost no one. He actually attracted zero people at an event in Arizona and had Kamala with him. I think it was their first in-person event together and zero people showed up. You remember the little circles in the grass? Oh, it's for social distancing and they couldn't even fill the circles. He started having rallies that were car rallies where people would drive in to be safe from COVID because they figured a full parking lot of cars would make it look like a full, well-attended event. But those didn't work either. And then all of a sudden they started a partnership with Jeep and they just had a parking lot full of Jeeps that didn't even have real people in them. They're like campaign staffers. They faked the entire campaign because they knew that they could not allow Joe Biden to go out and be among the people because Joe Biden is a mental invalid. The entire campaign was based on hiding Joe Biden and presenting an avatar of Joe Biden, a decent man, a hardworking guy from hard scrabble Scranton, Pennsylvania, even though he left when he was nine years old. A guy that has served the American public for five decades, even though he has sold his office for the entire time. A man who was going to solve racism, even though he was mentored in politics by a Klansman and wrote the 90s crime bill and said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. A man who was going to save women, even though he has a credible and unanswered sexual assault allegation from a woman named Tara Reid that the media promptly silenced and debunked and then completely ignored, just like his daughter Ashley's diary, wherein she says she was forced to take probably inappropriate showers with her father at age nine. They covered all of that up and presented Joe Biden as 
a perfect moderate alternative to the very dangerous and very stupid and very incompetent and very racist and very sexist Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump is absolutely none of those things. On Joe Biden's fake inauguration day, National Guard troops turned their back on Joe Biden's fake motorcade. Donald Trump did not hand over the nuclear football. Joe Biden didn't get access to Air Force One that day. And we've seen Joe Biden try to exercise executive authority. We've seen him attempt to pass spending bills with a similarly illegitimate Congress and Senate. And now we see him constantly on a stage across the street from the White House, a soundstage set up so that there's a big board that Joe Biden can read all his words off of, whether he's giving a pre-written speech or he's having a quote unquote spontaneous interaction in a virtual meeting with world leaders. The only time Joe Biden is allowed to think or speak for himself is when he goes off script and then immediately sparks a brand new disaster that his White House communications team has to walk back. Joe Biden was asked today, based on Senator Rick Scott's comments, if he thought it would be appropriate for him to resign because his presidency has been such an outright failure and he has no solution anywhere to solve any of the nation's problems. In fact, his agenda is what is causing the problems, and that is becoming more obvious to the American public every day. So here's Joe Biden's exchange with CBS reporter Ed O'Keefe. Remarks earlier today, anticipating your remarks, he said, and I'm just quoting here, that uh, the best thing, the most effective thing Joe Biden can do to solve the inflation crisis he created is resign. He's the problem. Resign. The That's a good later, idea. The senator added later. Joe Biden is unwell, he's unfit for office, he's incoherent, incapacitated, and confused. These are his words. Offering him a chance to respond to that. I think the man has a problem. And I know you can't see the video, but Joe Biden says, resign. That's a good idea. And then just stands there smiling like it's all a big joke. Joe Biden was just asked if he was incapacitated, incoherent, confused, unwell, unfit for office, resign. That's a good idea. And then he just smiles. So presidential, so competent, so capable. It is amazing to me that any of his voters still believe that he is legitimate or in any way could have been at any point more popular than Donald Trump. It's insane. Donald Trump had 10 to 20,000 people in the pouring rain in Pennsylvania on Friday evening. You can see it with your own eyes. If you combined every event Joe Biden and his campaign had during the 2020 election cycle, and then every event he's had since as fake president, it would not add up to 10,000 people. There have not been 10,000 people staring at Joe Biden in person in the last four years. The sum total of all those events, 
does not add up to as many people seeing Joe Biden in person as the number of people who stood outside in the pouring rain for eight hours to see Donald Trump on Friday. And Trump has these rallies every week. Now, Joe Biden's sister has been doing a little press tour. She's got a book out there and there's a book out about Jill Biden, too. It's sold 250 copies. I think I mentioned this last week. These communists and their book deals are becoming fully exposed. They get these upfront payments. They get the advance from the publishers and they pocket that money. And that is a normal thing in publishing. But. The advance is usually calculated based on the number of books the publisher believes it can sell. And so those book sales go to pay back the advance and then create profit for the publisher. But none of the books by the global communists and the traitors to America, all of these political hacks that continue churning out these books, pushing the global agenda, talking about the dangers of Trumpism. They don't sell at all. Meghan McCain just released a book that did like 300 copies in its first week. These are just payouts. But here's Joe's sister revealing accidentally a kind of inconvenient truth. I imagine it makes you angry when, for example, he misspeaks and people then put that down to him not being fit for office. His gaps are truths. Uh, He speaks the truth. And uh, is he capable? I mean, watch him. Look at him. I mean, judge, you know, judge for yourself. So Joe Biden's gaffes are actually the truth. And that's kind of the old cliche about political gaffes. It's when you accidentally say something true. But is it really a good idea for Joe's sister to be telling the public that we should consider all of Joe Biden's gaffes to be the truth? I mean, that's certainly not in the fake administration's best interest. And that's why the fake administration spends so much time clarifying that Joe Biden's gaffes are actually not true. They're not the administration's position. And then she goes on to say that we should judge Joe's capacity to do the job he's pretending to do for ourselves, observe his performance and then decide if he's fit for office. And of course, she wouldn't be answering this question if there wasn't such an overwhelming mass of people seeing with their own eyes that Joe Biden is absolutely incapable of being president, not that he actually is one. But let's take Joe's sister at her word And understand that Joe is, in fact, telling the truth. Here's another gaffe from today. Do you believe that you and your administration bear some measure of responsibility for the inflation that we're seeing across the country? First is we're in power. That's the first thing. And you justifiably right, we control all three branches of the government. Well, we don't really. Is inflation your fault? Well, we do control the House, the Senate, and the presidency, ostensibly, not legitimately, but for all intents and purposes, we can go along with that. But Joe and his party don't legitimately hold any of the branches of government. 
because their majorities are achieved through election fraud. The fake president is pretending to be president because of election fraud. Democrats and Republicans throughout the nation are serving illegitimately. Not all of them, but the vast majority. Or is the problem here that Joe Biden realized what he just said? We actually do have all the levers of power under our control, which would mean that everything terrible that's happening in the country and the world actually is their responsibility. It's possible that he realized he just copped to that and then tried to cover it up by saying that they don't really have control. Or maybe Joe is trying to say that they don't control the Supreme Court or they don't have a filibuster proof majority in the Senate. So they can't actually get done all the stuff they want to get done. And the real problem is that they are being prevented from enacting the entirety of their agenda. But Joe Biden is not a real president and they are not in control the way the public perceives them to be. And I imagine in the near future, if we're not there yet, the groundswell of sentiment will continue building and the public will understand Joe Biden's illegitimacy. And as that happens, it's important to keep in mind that Joe Biden is not illegitimate because of his mental unfitness and his incompetence and the absolute failure his fake administration has always been. He's illegitimate because he didn't win. He's illegitimate because he's there through fraud. And as our more mainstream friends and neighbors begin reaching this conclusion about Joe Biden's failed presidency, it's important to actually recognize that there is an entirely legitimate and legal way to remove Joe Biden. And it's simply by making sure the entire country understands election fraud and its consequences and the fix and the fact that Joe Biden's electors can be decertified by the states. That is what should happen. Joe Biden should not be impeached. He's not a real president. We don't need impeachment that will be voted on by other illegitimate congressmen and senators. We need Joe Biden to be rightfully and properly removed because Joe Biden has committed treason. Joe Biden is in his position because of a coup to overthrow the American government. Anything short of that is insufficient. The reality is the reality. People are understanding that Joe Biden is a constant, ever present, increasing threat to the success and prosperity and national security of the United States. But this realization is coming 18 months after it began being true. The shift in public sentiment is happening now, but it exists based on a timeline from 18 months ago. People are really living in the past when they're finding these things out right now. And I want to talk about a couple more examples that highlight that principle, and then I'll go into it a little bit more. Now, the first thing I want to discuss is the presentation of proposed draft legislation in the EU tomorrow about something that's called chat control. And a man named Patrick Breyer out of Germany has done some great work on this. He is a 
He's a digital rights activist and a member of the European Parliament in the Pirate Party. And here's what the Pirate Party entails, according to Wikipedia. Pirate Party is a label adopted by political parties around the world. Pirate parties support civil rights, direct democracy, including e-democracy, or alternatively, participation in government, reform of copyright and patent laws, free sharing of knowledge, open content, information privacy, transparency, freedom of information, free speech, anti-corruption, and net neutrality. And most of those sound like pretty good things. Although calling yourself the Pirate Party seems like a generally bad idea to me. But I want to give you some background about what this whole chat control issue is. And this is from Patrick Breyer's site. In 2020, the European Commission initiated temporary legislation, which allows the searching of all private chats, messages and emails for illegal depictions of minors and attempted initiation of contacts with minors. This allows the providers of Facebook Messenger, Gmail at all to scan every message for suspicious text and images. This takes place in a fully automated process, in part using error prone artificial intelligence. If an algorithm considers a message suspicious, its content and metadata are disclosed, usually automatically and without human verification to a private U.S.-based organization, and from there to national police authorities worldwide. The reported users are not notified. Some U.S. providers of services such as Gmail and Outlook.com are already performing such automated messaging and chat controls. Through a second piece of legislation, the EU Commission intends to oblige all providers of chat, messaging, and email services to deploy this mass surveillance technology. And I think that we would all have as a first thought, okay, well, they're talking about child pornography and illicit contact with minors. So the natural reaction is to think that's good. Something should be done about that problem. And this is one of a variety of possible solutions. And it's really easy to say, okay, well, this is justifiable based on that concern, but can we limit it to that concern? And the answer to that is almost definitely no. And even if the laws were in place to do it, there's no reason to believe based on our experience of the world and the information environment we exist in vis-a-vis -vis big tech, that whatever legal limits are imposed would actually be respected. And then, of course, there's another major issue. Is it justifiable to breach the privacy of everyone at all times, all their messages always in order to capture the information we need to capture to solve the problem, which is the child pornography and the exploitation of children? So would it work? Would it help? Maybe, maybe. Are there other ways to approach that problem? Definitely, yes. Is it justifiable to breach everyone's privacy by enacting these policies? And to answer yes to that, you would need the assurance that what they're doing would actually help solve the problem and that the breach of privacy wouldn't be misused when targeting anyone else for any other reason. There's absolutely no reason 
to believe that it would work or that privacy would be protected in any way. And that's the unfortunate truth about things like this. And knowing that, you begin looking at their justification for this being, we need to help children and this is how to do it as a means of emotional manipulation to achieve a different goal. But back to Breyer's site, how does this affect you? All of your chat conversations and emails will be automatically searched for suspicious content. Nothing remains confidential or secret. There is no requirement of a court order or an initial suspicion for searching your messages. It occurs always and automatically. And it should be pretty clear that this would be unconstitutional in the United States. Not that they're not already doing it. They certainly, certainly are. If an algorithm classifies the content of a message as suspicious, your private or intimate photos may be viewed by staff and contractors of international corporations and police authorities. Also, your private nude photos may be looked at by people not known to you in whose hands your photos are not safe. Flirts and sexting may be read by staff and contractors of international corporations and police authorities because text recognition filters looking for child grooming frequently falsely flag intimate chats. You can falsely be reported and investigated for allegedly disseminating child sexual exploitation material. Messaging and chat control algorithms are known to flag completely legal vacation photos of children on a beach, for example. According to Swiss federal police authorities, 86% of all machine-generated reports turn out to be without merit. 40% of all criminal investigation procedures initiated in Germany for child pornography target minors. And reading that last section, it actually seems like a search feature for people that want to see this kind of material, as deranged and demented as that sounds. On your next trip overseas, you can expect big problems. Machine-generated reports on your communications may have been passed on to other countries, such as the USA, where there is no data privacy, with incalculable results. Intelligence services and hackers may be able to spy on your private chats and emails. The door will be open for anyone with the technical means to read your messages if secure encryption is removed in order to be able to screen messages. This is only the beginning. Once the technology for messaging and chat control has been established, it becomes very easy to use them for other purposes. And who guarantees that these incrimination machines will not be used in the future on our smartphones and laptops? And the vote tomorrow on May 11th, the EU commission intends to make a second legislative proposal, which is to force all providers of email messaging and chat services to comprehensively search all private messages in the absence of any suspicion. So basically, starting tomorrow, they are setting the stage for everyone's private communications to be monitored at all times throughout the European Union. And there's an interesting response to this by a European collective of hackers called the Chaos Computer Club. On Wednesday, May 11th, 2022, the EU Commission is expected to publish the draft law on so-called chat control, an AI-based check of all message content and images directly on our devices is planned. The so-called client-side scanning would be an attack on any confidential communication. 
The draft provides for all communication content to be examined directly on our devices and in the event of suspicion to be diverted. This client side scanning would not be the first over the top and misguided surveillance method to be justified in the fight against child abuse. Undoubtedly, victims of child abuse need better help, but chat control is an over the top approach, easy to circumvent and completely wrong without any expected success in terms of the actual goal. An unprecedented monitoring tool is to be introduced. The proposed law would require each device to scan every message for images of child abuse and criminals contacting children. If such content is recognized in a message, it should be forwarded directly to a control authority or the police. Not only does mass scanning attack confidential communications at their very foundations, it would also be ineffective. Criminals are already using distribution channels that would not be affected by these scans and will easily evade scans in the future as well. The perpetrators use public hosters instead of the messengers targeted by the commission, not least because messengers are completely unsuitable for exchanging large collections of files. They also encrypt the data before the exchange. For this reason alone, the planned monitoring will not prevent the further dissemination of abuse images. So they're intending to scan everyone's communications all the time while knowing that people's private communications are not, generally speaking, where this stuff primarily exists. Not only journalists and whistleblowers depend on trustworthy communication. It is a fundamental right and an important cornerstone of our IT security. For communication to be truly trustworthy, two conditions must be met. Your own device must have integrity and may not forward content to third parties. And encryption must be secure so we don't have to trust the network. With telecommunication secrecy and the fundamental right to guarantee the confidentiality and integrity of information technology systems, chat control overrides two fundamental rights. Users lose control over what data they share and with whom. They lose basic trust in their own devices. So far, it is not clear who should define and control the detection algorithms and databases. Such a non-transparent system can and will be easily expanded after its introduction. It is already foreseeable today that the rights exploitation industry will be just as interested in the system as anti-democratic governments. It is all the more frightening with what innocence it is now to be introduced. And I think that what they're getting, that's a bit of an awkward sentence. It could be because of the translation, but I think they're saying it is being presented as something very innocuous. We're just doing this to try to eliminate child exploitation a very innocent and worthy cause. But that is just a Trojan horse for bringing in what amounts to the total end of communication privacy. An artificial intelligence that checks for abusive content will also incorrectly mark content as illegal. Even the smallest error rates would lead to massive amounts of incorrectly recognized and rejected messages. In Germany alone, well over half a billion messages are sent every day. Even enormously good recognition rates would lead to the ejection of several thousand messages per day. Of course, the probability of diversion increases in the case of private, completely legal and consensual image exchange among adults and young people. Young adults can already look forward to the assessment of their age by the inspection bodies. The numb worry about whether our messages will be leaked 
who is viewing them and how safe they are from abuse there will affect us all. At the same time, mountains of irrelevant material will accumulate at the checkpoints and prevent the officers from carrying out important investigative work. Investigating authorities are already overburdened with the data that is accumulating today. Investigations are not successful and materials found are not even deleted. Effectively eliminating these deficits would be the most important goal in the fight against child abuse. Instead, the commission wants to rely on mass surveillance and the promise of salvation from artificial intelligence. Chat control is to be rejected as a fundamentally misguided technology. So we have a serious problem, child pornography and child exploitation, and we have a possible solution to scan everyone's communications all the time. And because the problem is so serious and such a grave and heinous crime, it can be used to stifle dissent. People that don't want this legislation to be passed can be branded as not wanting to fix the problem of child exploitation when that is obviously absolutely false. But that's why they are using this issue. They know the proposed solution would not solve the problem, but they're pushing it anyway. They're acting like it will solve the problem, or at least it might help the problem. You can't say it won't help or else you don't want to cure the problem. And because they have built that emotional manipulation into the issue itself, it becomes much easier to stifle dissent. Legislation like this should be seen as a severe violation of basic human rights. But it's difficult to argue about something like this in tweets or headlines. And so stuff like this often passes. And when people hear about it passing, they say things like, well, you know, I don't have anything to hide or they're already tracking us anyway. Or who knows, it might help and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And the erosion of our basic human rights happens so gradually that we don't notice it as it's going away. And as I talked about earlier, the people who pointed out early on, the people who pointed out from the beginning, they're made to sound uncaring about the problem or that their dissent is based on misunderstandings or conspiracy theories. And people voicing those opinions are pushed to the fringes. They are marginalized. They're excluded from the conversation. And the timeline progresses. And you get to this point a year and a half, almost two years after this issue first came to light in the European Union, where such a serious violation of human rights will be passed directly into law and the people will just shrug and accept it and think it'll never affect them. But anyone who has been awake to the events of the real world for longer than a few days should realize how obviously false that is. And the other thing about this, of course, is with the admission that companies have already been doing this and law enforcement agencies have already been doing this. The technology is certainly there. The technology is certainly put to use. Getting legislation like this passed makes it so all of these activities that were crimes before this violations of people's rights before this are now just passed off as legal. Once we've entered this whole new world of 
total, complete, and permanent surveillance of the communications of everyone. So the second issue I want to talk about is the vote that is upcoming in a couple of weeks about new international health regulations at the WHO. And I haven't spent a whole lot of time on this because I don't see it as a massive threat. I believe it is a massive threat in principle. And I believe that any effort in this direction is a symptom of a very, very diseased society and culture to want any of this in the first place. But I don't think that this is going to come to pass in the real world in a way that will affect us. I think that we can simply not comply with this stuff and that this will ultimately be defeated. But of course, it is important that we all understand our betters are headed in this direction. A man named James Roguski has been on the war room the last couple of days talking about this, and he's published a series of Substack articles about this WHO pandemic treaty. And he gives what he calls an executive summary on the issue. The World Health Organization is attempting a power grab. Most people have never heard of the international health regulations. The United States agreed to the IHR in 2005. These regulations override and supersede the U.S. Constitution. So that right there should already blow your mind. On January 18th, 2022, the United States submitted a number of amendments to the IHR that served to give away even more of our sovereignty and greatly empower the World Health Organization to restrict your health related rights and freedoms. The 75th meeting of the World Health Assembly will be held in Geneva, Switzerland this May 22nd through 28th. That's two weeks from now. The assembly will vote on the amendments to the IHR. They are very likely to pass and be enacted into international law unless we, the people, stand up against this attack on our sovereignty. These amendments to the international health regulations do not need to be approved by two thirds of the U.S. Senate. We have already agreed to obey the IHR by virtue of our membership in the United Nations and the WHO. We have already given away some of our sovereignty. These amendments are designed to confuse the member nations into giving away even more of their sovereignty. In addition to the proposed amendments to the IHR, the WHO has also set up an intergovernmental negotiating body that is actively negotiating an international treaty on pandemic prevention, preparedness and response. The proposed pandemic treaty is separate from and in addition to the proposed amendments to the IHR mentioned above. The pandemic treaty does not yet exist. It is being drafted and negotiated right now. Discussions regarding the pandemic treaty are important, but they are also part of a sophisticated diversion to confuse the people and get them to ignore the immediate concern, which is the amendments to the IHR being considered by the World Health Assembly in the next couple of weeks. The time to speak out and stand up for your rights is now. And you can go to James Roguski, R-O-G, USKI.substack.com for more of this. Now, here is a list of some of the proposed amendments to the IHR. This comes from WorldCouncilForHealth.org. Number one, increased surveillance. 
Under Article 5, the WHO will develop early warning criteria that will allow it to establish a risk assessment for a member state, which means that it can use the type of modeling, simulation, and predictions that exaggerated the risk from COVID-19 over two years ago. Once the WHO creates its assessment, it will communicate it to intergovernmental organizations and other member states. So they will decide what's right for the individual countries. They'll decide which countries have problems right now and how they are forced to handle it. And then they will pass down their decision to the countries of the world. Number two, a 48 hour deadline. Under Articles 6, 10, 11, and 13, a member state is given 48 hours to respond to a WHO risk assessment and accept or reject on-site assistance. However, in practice, this timeline can be reduced to hours, forcing it to comply or face international disapproval led by the WHO and potentially unfriendly member states. And naturally, your mind should immediately focus on the Chinese Communist Party, as they hold an inordinate amount of power over the WHO. Number three, secret sources. Under Article 9, the WHO can rely on undisclosed sources for information, leading it to declare a public health emergency. Those sources could include Big Pharma, WHO funders, such as the Gates Foundation and the Gates founded and funded Gavi Alliance, as well as others seeking to monopolize power. So this is an even worse scenario than what we dealt with with COVID. Not only will they just decide what everyone must do, they have no incentive to be transparent about any of it whatsoever. Number four, weakened sovereignty. Under Article 12, when the WHO receives undisclosed information concerning a purported public health threat in a member state, the director general may not must. Consult with the WHO Emergency Committee and the member state. However, the director general can unilaterally declare a potential or actual public health emergency of international concern. The director general's authority replaces national sovereign authority. This can later be used to enforce sanctions on nations. Number five, rejecting the amendments. Under Article 59, after the amendments are adopted by the World Health Assembly, a member state has six months to reject them. This means November this year. If the member state fails to act, it will be deemed to have accepted the amendments in full. Any rejection or reservation received by the director general after the expiry of that period shall have no force and effect. So basically, the idea here is that if power is stripped away from the illegitimate communists currently in our government in the midterm elections in November of this year, there would be two weeks to apply enough pressure to the people currently sitting in those positions to actually reject this because the new Congress and the new Senate will not immediately be sat the day after the election. And so what we have here is the global communist order attempting to strip away more of what little sovereign power remains in the nations of the world. This is what the formation of a one world global government looks like. We imagine that if countries were to be taken over, it would be through war and that the conquerors would take control of the country. 
but we can see what it is in reality. It is a gradual infiltration, a shift, an intentional shift in ideology caused by an infiltration into the educational system and into the media so that we are all slow walked into giving up our national sovereignty and with that, our individual sovereignty. You have to understand that that's the ultimate result. The United States of America was created to maintain the sovereignty of the individual. And what we are seeing is nothing less than a full-scale attack on the American Constitution. Because you can't have a global one-world order when the most powerful country in the world isn't playing along. But if we give away this power as a nation on the false notion that somehow this would save us from the next pandemic, our individual sovereignty goes away with it. And that's what we can see with the surveillance and the limits on our speech, our ability to assemble, our right to protect ourselves, our right to cast a vote that will actually be counted. And you all know that I'm as optimistic as can be about how all of this will eventually play out. But if we continue down this road, then we would realize that our national sovereignty, our country, isn't going to be taken over by a foreign army or the army of the globalists per se. Our national sovereignty will be given away because of our ignorance and our apathy, and it'll just succumb to a global bureaucracy. This is how that happens. And intelligent people should understand that this is the purpose of these organizations. You can look at the WHO. You can look at the UN. You can look at before, as I mentioned, the IOM, the World Economic Forum, Global Citizen, all of these seemingly disparate organizations that are just kind of doing their own thing. Global citizen is curing poverty. Gavi is supplying vaccines. The Gates Foundation is fixing everything. George Soros is fixing our elections. The World Economic Forum is going to make sure that all the trains run on time. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. They are all aligned with the same exact agenda, the same agenda. Why are all of these organizations across the world trying to accomplish all the same things? Why do they have the same gender agenda? Why do they have the same environmental agenda? Why do they all want to track and surveil everybody? Why do they want the ability to control your currency? Why do they want the ability to control your speech? Why do all of them want all the same things in the same way? We are way past the time. Where anyone calling this stuff a conspiracy theory should be taken seriously. It is right there on all of their websites. You can go to their websites. You can find their funding sources. You can look at what their goals are. You can keep an eye out for the little rainbow colored O that is on all of their sites. Those are the 17 sustainable development goals. That is Agenda 2030 right in front of you. These aren't just random separate events happening around the world. It's all a part of the same program. And to deny that is just to express this unbridled ignorance. If you don't pay attention to something, well, it must not be true. 
Everyone who does literally five minutes of research in five minutes, you can find out that all of these organizations are interconnected and pursuing the same goals together. So where is the conspiracy theory? It is not a conspiracy theory. It is just a conspiracy. They are conspiring to achieve these goals together, and they don't care about national sovereignty or individual sovereignty or human rights. And the reason I'm mentioning these things together and in context of what I was discussing earlier with the fake presidency is because while these events fall on a timeline that you imagine is the present timeline in terms of the public understanding, all of these issues have been gradually progressing for months or years or decades. And they continue to because the public turns a blind eye to all of them. They think this is just what's happening in the world. We'll just vote for the right people and focus on our own lives. This stuff's never going to affect us. Life remains virtually unchanged. But that's not true at all. Life has been changed dramatically over the last couple of years and only for the worse, at least in a political and societal sense, certainly all of us try to make the best of a bad situation and try to continue improving ourselves and the lives of ourselves and our friends and our families while all this awful stuff is happening. We generally all understand it to be a good thing to study history. If you learn history, then you are less likely to repeat the mistakes of history in the present or in the future. And of course, I agree that it is wonderful to learn about history. It is also necessary to learn about the present in a real way all the time, because the purpose of the propaganda and censorship regime is to mess with our timelines. And I've written about this a bit in the Who is at Q series, and I'm writing another thing about it right now. I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but there is this kind of, in a sense, real time machine aspect to what's happening right now. If you are just now learning, for instance, that masks don't work or that lockdowns were a crime against humanity or that the vaccines are not very safe and effective, you are on a delayed timeline. You could have known those things two years ago or a year and a half ago or a year ago, but you didn't. You're just finding them out now. And now you are having to act in a world that puts you automatically at a disadvantage if you went along with all those things the entire time. You have the moral weight of having supported lockdowns, even though lockdowns have terrorized probably a billion people in this world, if not more. You wear a signal of ignorance and complicity and obedience and the willful oppression of others on your face as a badge of honor. And you injected yourself with an experimental gene therapy you knew absolutely nothing about, that you are lucky to still be alive after taking, and you still don't know the long-term consequences of what you have done. It is entirely possible that you have permanently eroded your immune system. You have a vaccine-acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. You've given yourself AIDS. 
And you did this because you are operating on a delayed timeline. The information you are getting is meant to manipulate you. You could access current information and understand better how to guide your life, but you have chosen to remain ignorant. And so I bring this up in relation to these two issues, to the potential passage of constant, permanent mass surveillance and the potential passage of an absolute giveaway of national sovereignty to an international body that will change our lives whenever they feel like it just by announcing that there's a new disease because there are different timelines at work here. Many of us have known this stuff is coming down the pike for a long time. Some people are just figuring it out now, and some people will probably never know about it or know about it in six months or a year or two years or five years. The mainstream media isn't going to report about the WHO consuming our national sovereignty. Maybe Tucker will say something about it. No one else on mainstream media will. And so no one addicted to the central narrative is going to know about it, not in any timeline where they can affect the outcome. They're going to be forced to live with the outcome. And once they realize what's happened, they'll shrug. They'll accept their new conditions and they'll comply because they will remain under the assumption that none of this will ever affect them negatively. Because not only do they think that their lives are buffered, they're safe and secure. This stuff isn't the sort of stuff that can change or ruin their lives. But they'll also do it because they believe that people like them are the ones making decisions. And in making those decisions, they are looking out for the interests of people like them. They still believe they're in this special club, the club of winners, ultimately. And the rest of the world can go to shit. Poor people can die off. Well, you know, we had too many people on the planet anyway. This will be better for the environment. They'll be in, able to institute things like vaccine passports, social credit scores, digital currency, and people will shrug and they'll say, look how convenient the world is now. And they'll do this while people like them, their own friends and neighbors are dying off at unusual rates from diseases that never affected the population in the way they now affect them. And all of this will be because the propaganda and censorship regime has manipulated the informational timeline that these people are on. They will be constantly reacting to a world that has already happened. The media will obscure the present. They will reinterpret the past and then they will frame a future so that everybody will simply accept the explanation when the event actually arises within their perception. They won't bother arguing about the justifications for the WHO pandemic treaty, for instance. They'll wait until it's all said and done, and then they'll present two sides of an argument, both of which accept the fact that it's already said and done. And people within the central narrative will accept those explanations. They'll think that the issue has been hashed out. Everything is probably okay. And then they will just move on. And they will continue along that alternate timeline until they or someone close to them has had their lives destroyed. And truthfully, 
It's really only when they personally have their lives destroyed because we now have two years of evidence suggesting that the people around them having their lives destroyed has not made a dent. And consider this. If they were not on that alternate timeline, if they were looking at information in the real world objectively as it happens, they wouldn't have lost those relationships. They wouldn't have the moral weight of all the miscalculations, all the compliance and obedience that they expressed whenever the government or the international body told them what they should be doing. Their ability to even think or act morally is being taken away because of the manipulation along the alternate timeline. And that's why it's so important to retain national sovereignty, to retain individual sovereignty, and to be getting actionable information when that information first becomes available. And speaking of actionable and true information becoming available, I will wrap up on this. This is the director of of the Disinformation Governance Board, the Joe Biden Ministry of Truth, Nina Jankowitz. Um, and I am eligible for it because I'm verified, but there are a lot of people who shouldn't be verified who aren't, you know, legit, in my opinion. I mean, they are real people, but they're not um, trustworthy. Anyway, so verified people can um, essentially start to edit Twitter the, the same sort of way that Wikipedia is, so they can add context to certain tweets. Um, so just as a easy example, not from any political standpoint, if president Trump were still on Twitter and tweeted a claim about voter fraud, someone could add context from one of the 60 lawsuits, uh, that went through the court or, uh, something that an election official in one of the States said, perhaps your own secretary of state, uh, <laughs> and, and his news conferences, something like that adding context so that people um, have a fuller picture rather than just an individual claim on a tweet. Amazing, isn't it? She believes that the Twitter verification badge, the little blue and on check mark, is meant to verify trustworthiness. And as absurd as that is, and definitionally not what that verification check is meant to be, She's actually kind of right in the real world. It skews people's perceptions. That little blue check mark tells people, oh, yeah, this person probably knows what they're talking about. She wants those people to be able to edit Twitter like Wikipedia. So the community of trustworthy blue check mark people can decide what's true on the platform. But of course, that's not to make sure everyone has the right political opinions. It's so they can present marginalized voices of the vulnerable from being silenced, from being harassed, from facing threats of violence. And if you disagree with the ability of Blue Anon to decide what's true and false, well, then you just don't care about marginalized people. So give up all your personal power. Give it over to the state. Give it over to the authorities. They're going to make better decisions than you will because they're the experts. Trust them. Just go with it. And if it all happens before you actually become aware of it, the solution is just shrug and stay on the alternate timeline. 
it'll probably be okay. You're definitely part of the club. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!